0: We've been going through the Psalms for the last few weeks, looking at these individual Psalms uh, collectively and, and really seeing how this book, this collection of poems, ancient songs somehow give voice to our uh, modern prayers and our cries and our, uh, even, even give voice to our deep questions about ourselves and about life and about God and how things work. They give, they give voice to us trying to come to terms with our own sin and with our own guilt as we'll see this morning, and we've been seeing part of the reason why we turn to the Psalms during the season in the life of the church is because there's so much disorientation around us, and the Psalms speak to us in those times of distress, in times of uncertainty, and we're feeling it, right? Whether it's the social distancing or the masks or our jobs or the economy or uh, or our worry about being sick or th- those that we love being sick, or just the general disruption of inconvenience. In our lives, it's very disorienting. It's been disorienting to me, and and we we see that we not only experience, and the psalmist not only experience, um, the the brokenness of the world around us, the sort of external circumstances of things not working the way that they would hope to. Um, the 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 psalms speak uh, much more to the brokenness even in our own hearts. Sometimes what what burdens us is what's out there, right? Sometimes what burdens us is what's happening out in the world or in our families or in relationships. It's external. But sometimes what burdens us is in here, in our hearts. It's an internal, spiritual kind of burden or crisis or distress. And the Psalms speak to us, not, not only in the midst of that brokenness, but also in the midst of our own brokenness. And we've seen in the Psalms, uh, with with all the psalmists, and and maybe David in particular, he he knew what it was like um, for things not to work the way he wanted in his life, right? He knew what it was like to feel pain or to be betrayed or to feel afraid or or to experience anxiety, for things to feel like they're falling apart, to feel unsteady. The psalmists had enemies. The psalmists at different points were in exile. They struggled with their sense of community. They wrote about the burdens they faced when their circumstances were difficult, but they also wrote about the burdens of feeling distant from God, the spiritual burdens, the internal burdens and crisis, the burden of their own foolishness, the burden of of knowing that they didn't meet God's standards, they didn't live up to God's standards, the the burden of, of their own sin, right? Because even when things are going well out there, we can still feel that uneasiness in our own hearts. We know things aren't as they should be, right? But they also knew about the joy of being forgiven, about the graciousness of God, about the way that God would meet them in the midst of their despair, in the midst of their distress, in the midst of their sin, and forgive them and love them. And that's what Psalm 32 is all about. It's about the, the burden-lifting joy of being forgiven. So let's, let's read this Psalm together. Psalm 32. It starts with this superscription, a mass skill of David. I think we've mentioned this before with some of the psalms we've covered, but that uh, is a designation that that many commentators say is a a particular kind of psalm, a psalm that imparts wisdom, a psalm that gives instruction of this mass skill. And it begins with, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered up. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. He says, "When When I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My my strength, he says, was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you you forgave me. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. In verse 6, he says, Therefore, because of all this, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me, he says. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. And then the the voice shifts here in verse 8 from David to God giving instruction to his people. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which, may, uh, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And so he says, be glad in the Lord, rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. God, again, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the truth of this passage. God, we thank you that you forgive us. God, we are, we are desperate for it this morning. God, no, no doubt many here are, are being crushed under the burden of unconfessed sin. God, I pray that you would draw that out of us, that we would open our mouths, speak our sin. God, that we would confess our pride or our anger, or our lust, our greed, our selfishness. God, help us to be a confessing people and experience that joy and healing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, if you're taking notes, the the two big points this morning are these. Number one, that that secrets will crush us. Secrets will crush us, but confession will set us free. The the secrets and guilt of unconfessed sin will crush us, as some of us, no doubt, have already experienced in our life. But but honest, frequent confession of our sin will set us free. David begins this psalm... uh, Sort of without any preamble, just with this immediate, joyful declaration. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Some translations say, how how happy is the man, or "What, what joy is to be found with that person. They are to be envied, those whose sins are covered up. Those for whom God has cleared their record. And David's declaration here as we see as we read through the Psalms is not this isn't theoretical for David this is this is personal this is something that David himself has experienced he's experienced that joy of being forgiven and he takes us through that process he takes us through the process of how he got there how he was he was able to experience the blessedness of forgiveness but as we see as we make our way through he was before he was blessed he was miserable He was miserable under this burden. He says, when I I kept quiet, right? When I I didn't confess, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away within me. I groaned all day long. Your hand was heavy upon me. My my energy, my strength, my vitality, it was just dried up. I didn't feel like doing anything. The secret of unconfessed sin crushes us. What, what language he's using here, my, my bones are wasting away. At my, at my very core, the thing that I feel is holding me together, I feel like is just wasting away within me. I've, I've got nothing anymore under this heavy burden. I groaned all day. My, my energy sapped completely. Completely. David is saying here, he, he's, he's saying, I, I sinned, and I knew it. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that there were things that I, that I did that I shouldn't have done. I knew there were things that I should have done that I didn't do. I, I, I realized I felt the burden of that sin and that wrongness, but I didn't want to admit it. I didn't, I didn't even want to acknowledge it. Not to myself, not to God, not to really anybody else. I didn't want to, I didn't want to come clean. And in, in so doing, in keeping silent, it was it was like cancer in my bones. It was a, it was a sickness in me. I, I was I ate under the burden of silence, of unconfessed sin. And the whole time, David says, I could, feel, I could feel God's heavy hand pressing down on me. Can anybody relate to that? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. I can relate to that. I can, I can relate to that sense of, of shame or that sense of guilt or that, that, the isolation that's produced when we keep things hidden that should be spoken and confessed. I can relate to the fear and nervousness of being exposed or being found out as um, for all of my sins, all of my failures, all the things that I've done wrong. I can, I can relate to the, that feeling of the burden of God's heavy hand. Charles Spurgeon says that, that, that God's hand is so helpful when it uplifts, but it is awful when it presses down. Better a world on your shoulders, Spurgeon says, than God's hand, his heavy hand on your heart. We know that sense. If you, if you have a conscience, you know that sense, that burden of guilt and unconfessed sin. The way that secrets sort of eat away at us, even from the inside, and begin to destroy all the relationships around us because we can't even feel like we can't be ourselves. Because if they really knew... We feel that burden. I came across an article this week. It was actually from a couple years ago. It was a guy in Houston. This old man in Houston had written an anonymous letter to uh, the Public Works Department of, of Midvale, Utah, and in this letter, he enclosed a $50 bill. And when the Public Works Department got this letter, they opened it up and read it. It was, it was anonymous. And in the letter, he explained that he was almost 90 years old at the time of writing this letter <coughs> and that the... Excuse me, and that the 50 dollars that was enclosed in this letter was to cover the cost of a stop sign he had stolen when he was a teenager, maybe 75 years ago, right? He wrote, "I, I, I want to be forgiven by the Lord. Not even, not even forgiven by the public works department. I want to be forgiven. I can feel the Lord's hand on me. I want to be forgiven by the Lord. I am so sorry. I truly repent." This is 75 years, maybe, right, of anguish, shame, this, this embarrassment for something he did as a teenager. This, this, this is a man who knew, who knew the heavy pressure of the Lord's hand. Some translations say the hand of displeasure, or the hand of God's discipline, or the, the, the hand that, that the pressure never lets up. He signed, he signed this note, a sorrowful citizen, even at, even at 90, he couldn't come, he, he couldn't even identify himself with this transgression. He just spoke as he felt a sorrowful citizen. We see, of course, that many of us could share our own stories. The secrets of unconfessed sin crush us. But confession sets us free. David says in, in verse five, I, but, so I, w- I was crushed, I could feel it in my bones, I was sick about it. My my energy depleted, but when I acknowledged my sin, when I just acknowledged, and I came to terms with my own failings and my own mistakes, when I acknowledged my sin, when I when I stopped covering it up, how exhausting is it to try to cover it up all the time? He says, when I acknowledged it, when I stopped trying to cover it up, when I confessed my transgressions to the Lord, he says, you forgave me. Like it's as simple as that. That's the equation. You forgave me. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's, that's the solution to the problem. So, the, the problem of guilt and shame and isolation, the, the, the problem of nervousness and uh, the sickness and anxiety about unconfessed sin that's eating away at you, the solution is, is acknowledging it. It's saying, Without God, this is what my life would be. I'm gonna stop covering it up. I'm gonna stop hiding it. I'm gonna stop avoiding. I'm gonna stop blaming. I'm gonna acknowledge my sin. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna confess it. One, one writer, uh, devotional writer, says that it, it, it feels like death to open up honestly about our sins. It feels like death. To open up honestly about our sins. But he says it's actually the only pathway to life and to sanity. It's crazy making feeling like you're trying to live two lives. It's so scary to be honest about our sin. It feels feels humiliating. You can just look around, right? Look at your family next to you, your friends, fellow church members. Just imagine opening up your mouth and confessing. Maybe the worst thing that you've done, the thing you've been hiding for 10, 20, 30 years. That's terrifying. That's a terrifying thought for many of us, right? It feels humiliating, but, but it's actually, it's the most humanizing thing that we can do. It humanizes us. It, it, it's, it's that through, through confession, hey, thanks, buddy. Was this wiped down? In in confession, when we acknowledge, when we acknowledge our sin, when we open up about it, when we we acknowledge our limitations and our failings and our worst mistakes, in so doing, we are we are freed from the burden of always feeling like we have to perform, or we the burden of always feeling like we can never be vulnerable, or we can never even be ourselves. Confession is one of the most humanizing things we can do. And when we confess our sins to God, we're not met with with judgment or condemnation. We're met with forgiveness. We're met with love. God God is bringing us in. He responds to our forgiveness, our confession with forgiveness. I was singing this morning as we were doing the the, the 830 service, also as an announcement. Many of you may know, you may not know. We have an 830 service outside in the courtyard before our 10 o'clock service. So you're welcome at both, obviously at the, at the early service this morning i was thinking about um, i was thinking about my kids and as a parent you know that when your kids your kids do something kids like all of us right they do bad things they sin they lie and you can you know most parents can look at their kid and go i'm pretty sure you're lying maybe i don't know 100% but you look like a liar <laughs> and you can see how even that they, you can see the burden on them when they're lying, when they're trying to hide things, when they're trying to cover up things. But then sometimes in those rare moments, they come to you and confess. They don't have to be found out. They don't have to be exposed, right? They come to you in confession. And, and what's your response as a parent? What, what should your response, what, what should it be? You just bring them in close, right? I mean, you just, you lo- what, what, you just respond with such softness when they come to you with confession, you, you love them, you bring them in, you, you, you show them such mercy, such comfort. And that's what, that's what God is doing to us. He responds to us with forgiveness. Charles Spurgeon, again, commenting on the psalm, he says, this, this pardoning mercy is of all things in the world, the most to be prized. And he says, it's the only sure way to happiness. He says, to hear from God's own spirit the words, you are absolved, is joy unspeakable. And he says that blessedness here is not not, uh, ascribed to the man who has been a diligent law keeper. The, The blessedness is not to the rule follower in this passage. It's to the law breaker. It's to the fool. It's to the sinner. Blessed is he because he's been forgiven. He didn't keep silent about it. In my study Bible, it says only the forgiven are truly happy. So David, having experienced the grace and the joy of this forgiveness himself, he, he goes on to encourage all of God's people. He says, okay then, therefore, because of all this, because God meets us with such mercy, because God is so gracious to us, because we don't have to be, we don't have to keep hidden anymore and, and, and stuff all this down and not, not, not let people know that, that we've, we're broken and flawed and that we are in need of a Savior, Because of all that, go to God. Everyone who is godly should offer prayers to God at a time when he may be found. He says, you are are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with with shouts of deliverance. When we offer our our prayers of confession to God, we are are embraced. God, God serves as a hiding place for us. He protects us from trouble. He, he sings to us. That's what, that's what David's saying. He's singing to us these shouts of deliverance. So it's like you confessing to God, and he responds to you with this, this song on repeat, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. That doesn't have to define you anymore. All the things that you've done, that doesn't have to be who you are. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he was near. David is giving, a, he's giving us a promise here. Go to God, bring your, bring your confession to him. He will meet you with mercy, but don't put it off. That, that warning is actually repeated several times throughout scripture, that you seek God while he may be found before it's too late. Now, I think, I think too late could mean a lot of things. I think too late could mean before another, you know, another relationship is ruined that can't be restored? Before more wreckage in your life that, that things are falling apart because of your unconfessed sin? Whatever loss you may be suffering, I think too late could mean really too late. Death. Judgment is coming. Go to God, go to him while he may be found. Seek him while he may be found. And he will respond with mercy to you. It's important when we talk about confession, too, that, we, that we're clear that we're, God not only calls us to bring our confession to Him. He does call us to bring our confession to him, but not only to him, He calls us to bring our confession to our, our brothers and sisters, to one another. But, but confessing our sins to our brothers and sisters, that's so hard. Isn't it? It's so if we're honest about it, it's so it's so difficult. Confession to God is one thing, but confession to someone else is quite another. You can just imagine that even if you're just sitting where you're at, you just, you know, you think about closing your eyes and making a confession to God. And what how you feel about that, how you're experiencing that, compared to opening your eyes and looking at the person next to you and confessing that same darkness. It's terrifying, isn't it? It's terrifying. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he says confession is one of the most difficult disciplines for us to imagine because when we look at the believing community, when we look at the church, we think of it, as as he says, a fellowship of saints rather than a fellowship of sinners. And so we isolate ourselves. We, We miss out. We carry our own shame and we behave like and we believe like we're the only one with the real story. We're the only ones with, with, with things to be really ashamed about, with, with, with deep failures, with this kind of baggage, this kind of addiction. And so we remain alone. And we miss out on that burden of bringing that to our brothers and being forgiven. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's small little book, great book, he asks this really, I think, important question. He, he asks essentially... Um, why is it it's so much easier for some of us, maybe not for all of us, but for many of us, why is it easier to go to God in confession directly, just you and him, rather than to go to a brother or sister? I mean, God, he, what he's saying is he, God is perfect, God is holy, God is blameless, and yet our brothers, and sisters they're flawed, they're broken, they make mistakes like we do. Why is it so hard to go to them? Who knows what it's like to struggle Bonhoeffer suggests that maybe when we go to God, we're not really going to God at all. When we avoid going to our brothers and sisters and only make it a matter of between us and God, maybe we're not going to God at all. Maybe, maybe we're speaking out those confessions not with a broken and contrite heart, not with, not with deep repentance and regret, but just to absolve ourselves. God, I'm sorry. God, I did it again. God, deja vu. We're here at it again. I, God, you know everybody makes mistakes. That I'm not perfect. There's there's something that's really demanding about going to a brother or a sister, and bringing those confessions to bear. He says, "Who can give us the certainty that in confession and the forgiveness of our sins, we are not dealing with ourselves alone, but dealing with the living God?" God gives us this certainty through our brothers and sisters. He says, our brother brother breaks the circle of self-deception. It's so easy to deceive ourselves about our own sin. But going to our brother breaks that circle of self-deception. It says, a brother who confesses a sin in the presence of another brother knows that he is no longer alone. And the brother who's receiving the confession, the sister who's receiving the confession, knows that she is no longer alone. He is no longer alone. What a gift to the body to be transparent and open and vulnerable and forgiving to one another. He says, as long as I am by myself in my confession, then everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin is brought to light. Don't, don't, don't sit alone with your sin. Yes, yes, go to God, but to put it in Bonhoeffer's words, when you go to a brother, you are going to God. You are acknowledging that sin in real time, in real life. The text shifts here a bit in verses eight and nine with God giving instruction to his people. He says, I will instruct you. I will teach you the way that you should go. I will counsel you. With my eye upon you. Don't don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. <clears throat> There's a contrast here but between what we do and what God does, how we behave in those first few verses, and how God behaves here. We, we we transgress, we sin, we live with iniquity, but God instructs us, God counsels us, God teaches us, his eye is upon us. That phrase feels like it has a sort of double meaning in the sense that, that his eye is upon us. And I would see it sort of both ways in a few different commentaries. That, that his eye is upon us in the sense that he is, he is watching over us. He is caring for us. But also like a parent with a child. His eye is watching us. To correct us. To discipline us. To disciple us. To bring us back in. To, to pull the bridle. When we wander off, he uses this illustration of, of horse and mule to say, you know, sometimes, sometimes we experience the sweet mercy of God, and sometimes we experience the severe mercy of God. Does anybody know what I mean? Sometimes, sometimes the mercy is sweet, God is always merciful. Sometimes the mercy is sweet, sometimes the mercy is severe, right? That's what he's warning us against. He's, he's saying, when you go to God in confession, he, he will meet you there with sweet mercy. He will comfort you. He will bring you in. He will meet you with forgiveness and grace. But if you, if you delay, if you wander off, if you continue to disobey, if you continue to keep silent, that, that, that your bones waste away. And you may experience that severe mercy of God, that punishment that pain, that correction, that a jerk on the bridle, right? It's still mercy, but it's severe. I think many of us can look back at our own life. I know I can look back at my own life, and I think, I can see evidence of God's severe mercy. Things that I experienced that were so painful or so difficult, some, some relationship that was lost. You, look, you know, you're in the moment, you're thinking, God, I want to hold on to this thing so tight. But, but it ended, and I see God's, looking back, you can see God's working. Thank God. It was, it, was such, it was so severe in the moment, but I can see it now as mercy. Some opportunity that was lost, that wasn't right for you, but you didn't know it. Some setback. This pain that you experience, that you can look back and go, even, even, just, the, even just the heavy hand, that, that disciplining hand of God upon our shoulder, that burden that we feel, what a severe mercy. Calling us back to himself. David finishes his poem like this in verse 10 many are the sorrows of the wicked but the steadfast love but the, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord be glad in the Lord rejoice o righteous shout for joy for all you upright in heart the message of the psalm is is that that secrets of unconfessed sin will crush us Eat away at us like cancer in the bones, but confession will set us free now there's there 's another important lesson here to be had and it 's this that that forgiveness isn 't cheap, not for any of us for, forgiveness is't cheap forgiveness comes always at a great cost but before we can before we can come to terms with the with the, the beauty and the depth of the gospel of grace, the gospel of forgiveness, before we can experience that good news, we have to come to terms with the, with the darkness and the depth of our own sin, right? We, the reason that you believe in Jesus is because you believe in sin, right? If there is no sin, there is no need for Christ. And what does the crucifixion of Christ speak about the depth of our sin. The depth of our brokenness. We have to come to terms with that. We have to come to terms with the the gravity and the weight of our own sin, the debt that was incurred and the price that was required to pay that debt. Frederick Buechner says the gospel is, is bad news before it's good news. The bad news is that we are all on the same sinking ship and we are in desperate need of someone to rescue us. And the good news is, there is a rescuer who saves. Our, our pride our, our pride goes deep. Our, our lusts flare up. Our greed blinds us. Our anger is so destructive that the envy that we have in our hearts divides us. Hey, buddy. You're all right. You're all right. Cutie. I miss being in it. You don't get those kinds of... Types of feedback when you're watching on a screen, right? So this, is, this feels good. Or when you're preaching to a camera. Can we all agree our debt is astronomical? It required a very great price in payment. And, and, our, and this, is, this is the point. Our sin was not swept under the rug. You do, God, a great disservice if you make your sin small. Or if you make the way he deals with your sin seem flippant. Our sin was not just swept under the rug. Our sin was nailed to a cross. Forgiveness came at a great price. In his book, King's Cross, Tim Keller talks about the the, the cost of forgiveness. He says when someone wrongs us, when someone really wrongs you, a debt is established that has to be paid by somebody. Somebody's got to pay it, right, when we're wronged. He gives this simple illustration. I think it's helpful. He gives this illustration that says, he says, imagine someone goes into your house and breaks your lamp. Pretty straightforward. Imagine someone goes into your house and breaks your lamp. Now, in that scenario, either they can pay, the one who was in the wrong can pay, buy you a new lamp, or you can pay and buy you a new lamp, Right? Someone's got to pay. They have to pay, or you have to pay. Or, or you just suffer the loss of being without that light, right? And that's, a, that's its own kind of cost. But there's a cost there. Someone has to absorb it. it says forgiveness always costs something. Forgiveness always entails a kind of suffering. When, you're, when your spouse wrongs you, and you have to forgive them, It costs you something. It costs you something. You could choose for them to pay that and keep blaming them, shaming them. That's an option. Or you can forgive them. And then who's absorbing that pain? You are. You're absorbing that pain. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. Forgiveness always entails a kind of suffering. And he says, he goes on, he says, if if we know know that forgiveness always entails suffering for the forgiver, and that the only hope of rectifying or righting the wrongs comes by paying the cost of suffering, well, then it should come as no surprise to us when God says the only way I can forgive your sins is to suffer. Either Either you have to pay Or he has to pay. Sin always entails a penalty. Guilt guilt can't be dealt with unless someone pays. The only way God can pardon, he says, and, and not judge us is to go to the cross himself and absorb that cost himself. Jesus says, I must suffer in this way if you want to be forgiven. When you, when you understand, when you come to terms with the, with the cost of that forgiveness, that's what, enables, that's what enables David to say, that person is so blessed, that person is so happy, they know what they were forgiven from. They know how great the cost was. They didn't try to hide it. They didn't try to minimize it. They acknowledged it. We acknowledge that our sin has created a debt. We, we, either, we either suffer eternally for it or we trust in the one who paid that debt once and for all. In 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. You see the connection there? There, there is no healing. There is no healing, as it were, without the wounds. When this kind of debt is created by our own sin and our own brokenness, that that leaves a mark, either on us forever or on him. David paints this picture for us. We are broken people, people with a debt. Either, Either we suffer now and forever by trying to ignore our sin or trying to hide our sin or trying to shift blame for our sin onto somebody else or just the circumstances around us, all the things that are going wrong in this world, or we acknowledge our sin. We do that hard work of acknowledging our sin, confessing it, and then experience the joy and freedom of forgiveness that came at such a great cost. Psalm 32, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Look to Jesus this morning. Look to your Savior. Look, look to the payer of your debts. The one who, who, though he knew no sin, Scripture says, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Meaning that you don't have to hide anymore. You didn't earn your salvation. God earned your salvation. Christ went to the cross. He, he bore your burden and he paid your debt. Now, now grace is, is on the house. It's available to you. That freedom and that forgiveness, you don't have to be hiding. You don't, have to, you don't have to lie. You don't have to feel sick. You don't have to feel that burden because God says, bring that confession to me and you are forgiven. Let me say a prayer for us. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you've given us a way in spite of our sin to rejoice. God, to know you. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.